Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said with, <clears throat> excuse me, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. And we've spent the last two weeks really uh, kind of living as farmers because Jesus has given us several parables about farming. Two weeks ago, we, we, we saw Jesus focus on what it means to be a sower of the seed. And then last week, we focused on what it means to be good soil, uh, where the seed grows. And then this week, uh, Jesus now focuses on the seed. So we've gone from sowing seed to the soil of the seed, and now we're focused on the seed itself. And Jesus gives us two parables about growth based on a seed. And these parables are to teach Jesus' people in the day that he was teaching in person, and as well as the church today, those who are listening, that like a seed, God's kingdom is growing. And it's growing like a seed in that it is gradual but inevitable. And it is growing like a mustard seed in that even though it seems so small and so significant, significant now, it is destined to be great and, and, and huge. So its greatness comes despite small beginnings, right? So these are the ideas of the seed, the small seed and the finish and the difference between the two. The point of both of these parables is that despite appearances of being small and ineffectual, Jesus' gospel will certainly bring the kingdom. Despite appearances of being small and ineffectual, Jesus' gospel will certainly bring the kingdom. I think that's a great message for a young church plant. A church plant is basically, we're just going to throw a seed into a new area of ground, and we're going to trust that the seed there is going to grow and it's going to flourish. But church plants, by definition, they start small, and they, 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 have, they have limits to what they can do. And so I think the parables that, that Jesus gives us today are such encouragements as we endeavor to be a church plant, to cast seed into new areas. But I also want us to, 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 to look at these parables with, with a personal sense of need. My, my purpose in, in looking at these uh, verses today is that I want to remind us, uh, reassure us of the confidence that you can have in the gospel. The confidence that you can have in the gospel. I also want to allay worries or, or fears that you might have and remind you that the gospel provides assurance. 
The gospel provides assurance that those who trust in it will be saved by it. I also see in this this, uh, group of parables uh, a a call to, to be encouraged in your perseverance. Perhaps you are coming into church this morning and you are barely hanging on. Perhaps you are feeling absolutely beat down, absolutely worn out, maybe even under the clutches of temptation. And your question is, am I going to fail out of being a Christian? Am I going to fail out of the gospel? Today, Jesus' parables are going to give you the grace of knowing that those who trust in the word will persevere. Here is, here is what I, I, I want you to think about. Wherever the gospel seed is planted, the kingdom will come. Wherever the gospel seed is planted, the kingdom will come. And Jesus is going to teach us, just as a master teacher does, by taking something so simple, so familiar, and so common, and say, look at this thing that you have looked at a thousand times. I am going to teach you four profound truths about the gospel from what you see in a seed. You see, these two parables are going to reveal four seed-like properties of the gospel that make it worthy of trust. And I love that Jesus uses parables of things we all know. He doesn't doesn't go into the deep end of physics. He doesn't go into the, the far reaches of outer space to teach us his truth. He takes things like seeds and plants. And the reason is we all know seeds and plants. And so here's a gift that this group of parables gives us. You leave today. And as you go through your week, I guarantee you're going to see plants and seeds. And every time you see those, you can be reminded of these four seed-like properties of the gospel that makes it worthy of your trust. So I I, I hope that these different properties, they're presented to you in a clear and accessible manner so that you can re-experience these wonderful aspects of the gospel wherever you go this week. So let's look at the the first of these seed-like properties of the gospel that makes it worthy of trust. And the first is that we can trust the gospel because it is always working. We can trust the gospel because it is always working. Look at verse 27 again. Verse 27 says that the farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So what, what, what Jesus is telling us about, about seeds is that this farmer, he throws the seed onto the ground, and then the seed goes to work. It's just what the seed does. The seed starts going to work. As it's in that soil, it starts germinating. It starts turning into a plant. But a lot of that seed's work is imperceptible, imperceptible to the farmer, So much of of that seed turning into a plant happens underneath the ground, isn't seen. And so we're told that this farmer just kind of sleeps. He wakes up night and day, goes through his business, and he doesn't know 
how these seeds are turning into plants. He doesn't know. The, the farmer is ignorant, right? The farmer is, is, is unable to know how this whole thing, whole thing happens. And then one day, he looks around, and all of a sudden, he's got, he's got plants, and the plants are growing. And then one day, he turns around, and the plants are ready for harvest. And so the, the, the whole idea that the farmer is, 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 is put into a position, a posture, of waiting and trusting the seed that was sown will turn into plants. That's, that's what the farmer has to do. He has to wait and trust that this is going to, to happen. And, and it's that aspect of the gospel as a seed that Jesus is wanting us to grasp. Waiting and trusting is a key posture of gospel ministry. There is just no way to do gospel ministry. There's no way to do a church plant. There's really no way to be a Christian without being very familiar and trained in waiting and trusting. So I'll give you an example. Uh, as a pastor, uh, at least once a week, somebody will say, uh, how, how did the sermon go? How did the sermon go? I don't know what you're asking. Because the best thing I can actually say about how the sermon goes is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, am I supposed to say how many people said good sermon versus how many people said bad sermon? Am I supposed to talk about how many people showed up? What, what are we asking? The only thing that I can know, uh, the only thing that matters about the sermon is what it's doing in your hearts. And I, I can't know that. I can't see that. So I leave every week with the best report of my preaching. I don't know. I hope, it, I hope something happened. I don't know. Uh, people will like, like to ask about uh, our church. How's your church doing? And, and right now I'm in the I don't know phase. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Things are going. It's, it's, it's each and every week we're, we're doing our thing. We're, we're learning the gospel. But what are you asking when you're asking how is it going? Because I don't know. We're, we're in that, that stage of the seed that is imperceptible in a lot of ways. Right? But I don't know, and this is very important, the phrase, I don't know, does not mean nothing is happening. This is what's so important. The farmer doesn't know how it's happening or that it's happening, but it doesn't mean nothing is happening. There is so much growth you can't measure, right? The seed does so much in that germinating and that root building and all of the process before any evidence of that seed turning into a plant is knowable to the farmer. But that's real stuff. Even though we cannot measure it, that's real stuff. And so when, when I, I, uh, I think about another maybe area of my life where I, I say I don't know a lot, and that's my parenting. Uh, <laughs> Are these kids learning anything? Are they picking anything up? Are they figuring anything out? Is anything that I'm, am, I, am I teaching and modeling coming through? And, and a lot of times you just, I, I don't know. But then last week I took uh, my, my youngest, my daughter, uh, uh, out to the pool and uh, we forgot her swimsuit. Well, actually we were there for a different reason, so we didn't forget the swimsuit. But then she decided she wanted to swim. And I didn't want to walk all the way back to our house and help her get her swimsuit. So I said, well, why don't you just go back and get your swimsuit. And so I'm thinking, 
She's not going to remember the sunscreen. She's not going to remember the towel. She's probably not going to remember her special swim boot. You know, this, she's going to come back, and it's going to be a disaster. And like 45 minutes go by. I'm like, how could it possibly take this long? But then she comes back, and she's in her swimsuit. She's wearing her special swim shoe, and she's got a bag. And in that bag is a towel and her sunscreen. Somehow, I don't know how, she picked up all of the things to be responsible to go to the pool. So sometimes you see these little glimpses. And the same thing is happening even in this church plan. I am so excited when I hear that when we have our group time right after the worship service. Like I heard a couple weeks ago that, that there was a, a person that had a, a real question about the gospel, had a real confusion about the gospel. And that small group was just able to explain, no, the gospel doesn't work that way. It's, it's this way. It's, it's by grace. It's, it's not by works. And, and that, that just happened. But I, I didn't see it. I didn't know about it until I heard about it later. There, there are, are, are people that are inviting their, their friends to, to come to this church, and, and, and visitors are showing up. These are germinations. They're small. They're subtle. But they're real. So, so we live in the gospel in this not predictable but always surprising place because the gospel is always working. And the gospel is always working in us individually. A lot of times there's a, there are large stretches in the gospel where it just seems like nothing is happening, nothing is changing. Are you familiar with those long, flat lines in your Christian life? And it feels like nothing is happening. I am just exactly where I was yesterday, and I'm going to be the same place tomorrow. And it really feels like it's not working. Well, in, in those periods, we need to look back and see how the gospel does work in some of the other saints of the scriptures. And so if you look back at the story of Abraham, did Abraham have long, flat lines where nothing seemed to be happening, where God said, this is going to happen, and then God doesn't say any more, and he doesn't do anything about what he said for years. He says, you're going to have a baby with Sarah. And they were already like, you know, post, let's have a baby age, right? And then a decade goes by. Where's this promise? Another decade goes by. Where's this promise? This promise is so delayed, seemingly nothing is happening, that when God finally comes and speaks and says, this time next year, Sarah is going to have a baby. Sarah laughs. Sarah laughs. Why does Sarah laugh? Because it is absolutely unbelievable to her that at this point in her maturity and her old age that she could possibly have a baby. It is impossible to her mind that any God could bring a baby from her. And you see, that's what God was doing. He was waiting to show that the gospel always works even in the impossible. And it took Years of waiting and trusting for God to fully reveal the power of the gospel, the power of that promise, the seed of, of truth that he gave Abraham 20 years ago will necessarily happen. You see, in the story, the waiting was part of the gospel working. 
And so sometimes when we're living in that straight line that seems nothing is happening, there is in the waiting, the working of the gospel, teaching us in the mundane, trust, trust, trust. So the the parable of the seed is here to tell us, even when you can't see it, even when you don't know how it is working, the gospel is like a seed, and it is always working. Have confidence in the gospel. Just as the seed grows, it is always working. And if you need one concrete piece of evidence that it's working, you're here. You're, you're here. I mean, I know there's all sorts of reasons not to be here or to be any number of places every Sunday. But you're here. And the reason that you are here is because the gospel is working. The gospel has brought you here and the gospel is being presented to you because you are in the work of the gospel. So friends, keep trusting. The second seed-like property, we can trust the gospel is all you need. We can trust the gospel is all you need. Look at verse 28 with me. Verse 28 says, um, The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. This is a surprising little verse because it includes the the Greek word uh, automate. Automate. Uh, The reason I'm sharing Greek is because I think it's an easy leap for you to, to guess what automate is in English. It's automatic. Automatic. Jesus says that the earth automatically produces the the plant. And so this is the the, the idea that what is sown automatically comes to fruition. Jesus is zeroing out any other factor in the plant's growth to say that it is the seed that is in the soil that automatically grows into a full plant. Now, you you might be thinking, well, that really uh, disrespects the farmer, right? Because doesn't the farmer go out and fertilize? Doesn't the farmer go out and do the weeding? Doesn't the farmer go out and do watering? Is he saying we're not supposed to do any of those things? Not necessarily. I think it would be to press the the parable too far. What, What Jesus wants us to focus on is the comparison that he is making, The difference between the watering and the fertilizing and the weeding is that that is cooperating at best with what the seed is doing all by itself, right? The watering, the fertilizing, all of that, that is just coming alongside to support what the seed already is programmed to do and is already going to do. You you can throw, well, you don't need to even throw seeds. Look at the weeds, they just work, right? So, so the farmer, as, as much as, as he puts in time and effort, he needs to remember, as, as this parable teaches, that the power is in the seed. And it is because the power is in the seed that anything happens. So it is that way with the gospel. This is probably, this is probably the most important thing to grasp. The gospel has within it all that we need to be saved. All that we need to be saved is in the gospel. All you have to do is plant the gospel in your heart. 
And then the gospel will do everything you need to bring you into the kingdom, to save you, okay? Just plant it. But the temptation is, is it all I need? <laughs> I mean, when we live in these flatline periods, sometimes where it feels like nothing is happening, sometimes where it feels like growth is very imperceptible, is the gospel all we need? Maybe, maybe we can add something to it. Maybe we, we need to, to, to juice it up with something. Again, think about Abraham. What did Abraham do about a decade, decade and a half into watching this promise not be fulfilled? He and Sarah got a great idea. They said, you know what? I think God's probably waiting for us to find a way to have a baby. So why don't you take my servant and make a baby with, with her? And, and that's where Ishmael comes from. Now, God didn't show up and say, oh, thank you for figuring out this problem my word created. No, that was a, that was a mistake. That was a, that was a trying to add to, to the word a human work to try and make uh, the, 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 the word sufficient. God comes back and says, no, I, I did not make a mistake. It is going to be Sarah. It is going to be Abraham and Sarah. This is where the promised child is going to come. But it is really easy to fall into an Abrahamic spirit of trying to add, trying to fix, trying to solve or augment the gospel. And we can become consumed with all these other things that we do that we think helps us be saved. We can do that so much so that maybe we don't have an Ishmael, but when the, the question comes to us, why do you think you're saved? Your answers start sputtering out, I go to church. I've been baptized. Um, I, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I, I, I do good works. And these things start falling out of our mouth. Why do these things start falling out of our mouth? It's not that any of those things are bad. It's not that any of those things are wrong. It's that we have not truly trusted that the gospel is all we need. And all of those things, when they become the answer, are just as, as wrong as making an Ishmael when God's word has not come in fulfillment on your timetable. You see, whenever we allow those different things to become more necessary to why we are saved than the gospel, we have lost the, the most beautiful gift of the gospel, which is to say the seed, once it is in you, will do all that is needed to save you. Believe in the gospel full stop. And that is why we prioritize the gospel. Everything that we do at Renew, so long as I'm still uh, faithful and, 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 and all of that, is that we will bring everything to the gospel. We are not just gospel-centered. We are gospel-saturated. Okay? Gospel-centered, you can have a lot of things to the side of the center. I want the gospel to saturate so that absolutely everything that we do, absolutely everything that we know about ourselves, every thought, every feeling, every action goes through the gospel. 
Because the gospel is the only thing that has the power to save. It needs nothing else to work. It alone is sufficient. There's a, a story in the, in the book of Acts that I, I love because it just distills this. It boils this down. There's a story of Silas and Paul who have been arrested in, uh, in Philippi, and they're in the jail. And they're worshiping in the jail cell, and there's this pagan Roman jailer who's in charge of, of keeping them in, in the jail. There's this terrible earthquake, a miraculous earthquake, that somehow breaks the doors open and breaks all of the locks off of the, uh, uh, the handcuffs of the, uh, Paul and Silas and the other prisoners. And the Roman jailer, who lives in an honor system and knows that he is, he is only going to be honored by his uh, faithfulness and doing what he's doing, and if he lets prisoners out, uh, he, is, he is worse than dead. He decides, I have to kill myself. And so he, he, he decides he's going to kill himself, and then Paul yells out, we are still here. We are still here. And that so warped the jailer's mind. Like, they're still here. Why? Why is Paul and Silas not escape when they could? Well, the reason is that the gospel was so saturated in Paul and Silas's heart that they loved that jailer who was lost more than their own freedom. But when the jailer finally came, and stood in front of them, he was so impressed with Paul and Silas that he just said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gave one sentence to answer the whole question. In Acts 16.31, he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There is nothing that needs to be added to the gospel to be saved. Believe and then you will be saved. There is no gap. There is no deficiency. Paul boiled it down to that. That is because the gospel is sufficient. The gospel gives you all you need. So when we say that we are gospel saturated, I just want to stress what that means. We are committed to making known and progressing in the good news that we have been made new by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The word alone is in there multiple times to stress you can't add to it. It's the gospel and the gospel itself. That's all you need. And so if you are, are, are taking our mission statement to heart, if you are living in the gospel, your whole life will live it out. So what does that mean? Just let it in. Just let the gospel in. I, I love that, that the stressed action in Mark chapter 4 from Jesus is here, here. Do you know how passive hearing is? I mean, that's just letting it in, not blocking your ears, just letting it come in. Everything that you need just needs to come in through hearing. There's no work with your hands. There's no doing with your body. There's just hearing it and believing it. Once it is received, be assured it will do the rest. 
It will do the rest. Friend, are you trusting the gospel alone? Now, the third seed-like property, the third seed-like property, we can trust the gospel will bring us all the way to glory. The gospel will bring us to glory. Verse 29, uh, Jesus continues, and he says, um, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I just love how sublime this, this parable is. We start with a seed and we end with a harvest, right? And Jesus is saying all that has to happen to get to the harvest is that the seed has to be sown. When the seed is sown, the seed will do all of the stuff. It will grow into each level of maturity until it gets to harvest. The end is the inevitable consequence of the seed's beginning. You see that? The harvest comes because the seed was planted. That's that's the whole chain of events. Jesus' point is clear. Now that the kingdom is planted in this world, harvest is coming. There is no stopping the harvest. Because Jesus has planted the kingdom when he came into this world. And so at some point in time, there's a harvest coming. And nothing can stop it. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable because the seed has been planted. Amen? So what is the harvest? The harvest in context is the culmination of of the kingdom. It is the outcome of the gospel. The the harvest is basically a representation of the promise fulfilled. The promise that this gospel will save you. The harvest is the fulfillment of that promise. The harvest then is, is glory. It's it's the final resting place of the Christian. It's dwelling with God. It's everlasting life. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And so as we think about that, this raises the question of of perseverance, right? Do we know that our faith and our walk are going to get us to the harvest? Will we persevere? And I think if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with with perseverance. Can God still love me? Can I still uh, be forgiven? These questions, doesn't matter how how well-read you are in the middle of the night, sometimes they just come out of all of us. Can Can we lose our salvation? Can we fall out of God's grace? I've failed. I've failed more than I could possibly imagine. I I can't forgive myself. How could God forgive me? This parable is an answer to our fear of failing. I want to illustrate the, the power of the seed of faith by going to one of the most challenging passages in the in the Gospels. It's the it's the passage of Peter. Uh, on the night of Jesus' arrest. Peter, who was so full of confidence, so full of his own perseverance, 
was being told that all of the disciples were going to fall away. But things got really scary. And, and Peter, with all the gumption, I mean, I, I don't really fault him. I mean, he's, he's, he's sold out. He says, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. Even if everyone does, I would die with you. And then Jesus looks at him and he says these very uh, haunting words in, in the Gospel of Luke. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is on the, the eve of, of, this is just hours from Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. To, to nothing but a servant girl. I don't know him. I, I have nothing to do with that man. And he, he heaps curses on the thought that he was a disciple. Peter denied Christ three times. Having just been in his presence an hour or so ago. I mean, how, how terrifying is this? And if there is any sin which you would say, you know what, that's a goner. There's no coming back from that. That would be it. That would, that would challenge any possibility of perseverance if, if that were part of our narrative. But look at what Jesus says even more closely. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You see, Peter blew it. Peter's flesh, Peter's mind, Peter's words, Peter's actions, everything reproached the gospel. Except he was never lost. He was never lost. His faith was never gone. His faith never failed to save him because Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So as failing as Peter was, he had not failed in his salvation because the faith, the gospel seed, once it is planted, must necessarily go to harvest. And it is Jesus, the shepherd, and the farmer's job to pray, even when you don't pray, that your faith will not fail. And when Jesus intercedes for his own, his prayers are always answered. Beloved, whatever the gospel begins, it finishes. Whatever the gospel begins, it finishes. Look at how Paul describes this in Romans 8.30. He says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a whole bunch in this verse that we can't discuss. Let's just focus on justification. Justification is, is, is what it means to accept the gospel. When you put your faith in Jesus... Your sins are, are canceled in Jesus' death and his righteousness is credited to you so that at that point of faith, you are justified. 
You are declared not guilty. You are declared righteous in God's sight because of Christ. That's what it means to be justified. But here's what's so important to see in this verse. All those whom he justified also are glorified. Glorified is your final state. That's your heavenly existence. That's the end of everything. That's the resurrection, the new heavens, the new earth. That's the finish line, right? And and, and Paul is saying all those who are justified, all those who have had the seed planted in their heart will be the same group of people who are glorified, who receive the new heavens and the new earth, the everlasting life, the resurrection, all of that is theirs. As certainly as you are justified, you are glorified. Right? Whatever the gospel begins, it finishes. And so I, I, I want to I say this. The gospel does not offer the possibility of salvation. It offers God's promise of salvation. And God's promise cannot fail. Another wonderful verse to remember as we as we struggle with perseverance, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing Jesus is saying, I have planted the seed in you and the seed will grow to harvest. Put your trust then in the gospel and you will persevere. Now the fourth property, the fourth property Fourth seed-like property that we can know about the gospel, to be trusting in it, is that we can trust the gospel will triumph. Sometimes we, we, we think the gospel is just too small for this world, too small for our problems, too small for secularism, too small for this post-Christendom environment, that, that we need something bigger, we need something stronger. So so Jesus speaks to that thought. He says, this is to miss the power hidden in the the seed. I mean, maybe maybe, uh, sometimes you you feel the way I I feel. Like, uh, I I sometimes feel like, you know, (laughs) we're just like mustard. Uh, Have you you been in uh, in one of these baseball games, uh, the Major League Baseball games, and you get to have the hot dog run? I mean, mustard. Mustard is always back there. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, mustard is just, why? Uh, sometimes I feel like we're the mustard in this race, and we are way behind. But in days like that, it helps to remember Jesus' second parable, which does not mean we're only halfway done, okay? Uh, but Jesus' second parable uh, tells us in 30 to 32, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus is basically saying, don't feel bad that we're mustard, because mustard wins, all right? Mustard wins. Maybe a different mustard. The mustard plant, right? So uh, Jesus talks about the, the kingdom as, as a mustard seed. And the reason he talks about the kingdom as a mustard seed is because uh, in, the, in the 
area of, uh, of uh, Israel, it's the smallest seed anybody knew about. Maybe not the smallest seed in the world, but that's the smallest seed anybody in the audience would know about. And so he's using the smallest known seed to talk about uh, an aspect of the kingdom. The smallest seed, when it is planted, grows into the largest garden plant. And this is a, a, a picture of a, of a mustard plant full grown. It's a big, gnarly thing, isn't it? That's a big, gnarly thing. So the idea is that even though it seems so small, it will grow to be the largest. It will triumph. It will be the, 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 the plant that takes over everything. How? How can we know this? How can we be so confident that Jesus' parable of the mustard seed is actually going to map onto reality? How can we be so certain of a future that we can't see that the mustard seed is going to triumph? And that's simple. Because the gospel is the news about Jesus. The gospel is the news about Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the promised seed. Go back to the third page of your Bible. After Adam and Eve blow it, they sin, and they're cast out of the garden. God says in Genesis 3.15 that there will be a seed of the woman who will come to crush the head of the serpent. And then we're told uh, later in the story of Abraham that a seed of Abraham will be a blessing to all nations. And then we're told a little bit later, hundreds of years later, that uh, one will be a seed from David who will have an everlasting kingdom. There has been a promise of a, of a single seed, a single offspring who will come into the world and will change everything. We'll have an everlasting kingdom. We'll be a blessing to all nations and we'll root out the evil in the world. And that seed we, we find in the Gospels is Jesus. And then in the Gospels, Jesus becomes the seed that was buried. In John chapter 12, verse 31, we're told these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, Jesus is talking about himself. He is talking about himself as the seed. And he is saying that his seed has to die. It has to die by being buried. But when it dies, when it is buried it will become a force of unstoppable multiplication. And so Jesus is buried by the cross, by his death, by being put in a tomb. He is buried to pay for our sins. He is buried to defeat the evil one. And then he is raised. And what is his resurrection called? It is called the first fruits. He is the beginning of the great harvest. And we know that our harvest is coming because he's the first fruits of resurrection life. That is the mustard seed. And I ask you, has the mustard seed become the largest plant? We can see in the course of history the growth of the kingdom of God and we know that it is grounded in the power of Jesus and his resurrection. 
And because of that, we know that this kingdom and this gospel will triumph. So when we trust the gospel, we are receiving the victory that Jesus has won. The victory of Jesus is our victory by faith. So let me share my favorite verses, in, at least in Romans. Because of the gospel planted in us, this is what Paul says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the seed is planted. Amen? So as you leave our church today, take a look at seeds. Take a look at plants. And remind yourself of the gospel. It is always working. It is all you need. It will bring you to glory. And it will triumph. Friends, Harvest is coming. Will you be part of the harvest? You can know that you are part of the harvest. You can be in the harvest simply by responding to Paul's simple gospel. Believe in the good news of Jesus and you will be saved. You will be saved. Bury the gospel in your hearts. Put your trust in him. Amen?